I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Last year, of course, marked the end of another decade of American history. During the last 10 or so years, we've witnessed all kinds of things in our politics and policy. Uh, international events and movements, Brexit, and a host of other things uh, happening. But what was the last decade like from the perspective of one of the world's leading Pulitzer Prize-winning columnists, George Will, who has been not just the most powerful journalist in America, as dubbed by the Wall Street Journal, but more importantly, one of the most influential thinkers, I think, of our time. He has a new book out called American Happiness and Discontents, The Unruly Torrent, 2008 to 2020, and he joins us now to uh, talk about uh, these turbulent years in American history. George, uh, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be with you. I, I don't think anyone's going to call these years 2008 to 2020 <laughs> the era of good feelings 2.0. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely not the kinder, gentler uh, decade that uh, exactly. anyone was thinking for. So as you reflect on that, as you look at that uh, from your unique perch, uh, what are some of those things that maybe some of the lessons that we should have learned, but perhaps we still haven't? I, I think one thing we've learned is that the, the, it is a truism that politics is downstream from culture. And I, as I put this together, I was surprised how often I wrote about uh, things such as the way we parent, the way we raise children, and that this helps explain why so many children go to college not looking for freedom of speech, but freedom from speech that might unsettle them. Mm. And they want safe spaces where they can be protected from microaggressions and all that stuff. So I, I think that the, the way we raise our children uh, is, uh, is a, accounts for some of the weird goings-on in academia and should give us pause. Uh, I, I think that is uh, – this is one of the questions I – have so wanted to ask you, and that is on many of our college campuses, uh, that uh, trigger or safe spaces or snowflakes or all the different things that uh, are, are being bantied about, uh, I have always worried that the the real death of the republic will come not from one side or the other winning, but in our loss of ability to be curious uh, and to have different kinds of conversations. And it seems like that's where we're heading more and more. And you talk about this in the book uh, in terms of administrators and college campuses almost killing the very reason they're there, and that is to teach us to, to learn, to love learning, and to be curious. 
Exactly. And what happens on campus doesn't stay on campus. It seeps out into the larger society. And what's happening on campus is the suffocation of an absolutely essential attribute of democracy, which is a culture of persuasion. People don't get persuaded anymore. We get into our rival tribes. We hunker down in our intellectual silos. We only listen to news from congenial sources. And pretty soon, there's we begin to define our happiness as the unhappiness of the other team. And that is just, that's why Americans have the feeling that their society is fraying. Yeah, it, uh, it from our founding, it, it's not been a grievance society. It's been anything but, but it, that seems to, as you rightly pointed out, it seems to be the direction, if I can only be happy by making you miserable or watching you lose, uh, then, then we've really lost it. Exactly. And this country was not made by flimsy people who, who needed to, be protected from one another. This, as the people of Utah know better than any other state, uh, the people who got all the way across the country to the Great Salt Lake were tough people, uh, used to hardship, and not not complainers and not people who nursed grievances. Yeah, uh, I wanted to get to a couple of things from uh, from your book. Uh, one of the areas that uh, I wanted you to weigh in on was. Uh, your recognition of the uh, of the Iron Lady. We we talk about this lack of leadership in the world today, and uh, you you take note of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, what did, did what did we learn from her, and what should we be applying from her leadership style in our world today? We learned from her. She had a famous saying: "said First you win the argument, then you win the vote. Ideas come first. She used to take out of her handbag when she was talking to. Uh, members of her parliamentary party, Frederick Hayek's great volume, The Constitution of Liberty, she'd slam it on the table and say, this is what we believe. Ideas have consequences. In fact, I believe only ideas have large and lasting consequences, and that is what made her a great leader. She said, these are the ideas, these are the banners under which we're going to march, this is not a pastel banner, these are bright primary colors. And that is the indispensable essence of leadership, particularly in a nation like ours, which is, as uh, Lincoln said at Gettysburg, dedicated to a proposition. We are a creedal nation with certain beliefs. When we lose those, we lose the nation. Yeah, uh, so true. The the culture of persuasion, the ideas leading uh, rather than lagging. It seems like we're having political fights before we have uh, any policy ideas take place. Uh, I think we're watching that happen uh, as we. I've got six screens in front of me, and it's everywhere. Uh, that we're watching the the politics of it, not the persuasion, and not the the big bold ideas leading the way. Can we get back to that in our current uh, political environment? I, well, not in our current political environment, which is hostile to ideas. The Democratic Party is simply a collection of grasping interests, and the Republican Party is a cult of personality right now. So neither party is particularly hostile to ideas, and I think the party that's going to prosper in the near term and the future is going to be the one that says, come join us in, in politics made dignified by the assertion of certain timeless principles. Mm. We know what they are. Uh, that first come rights and then come government. Government does give us our rights. It protects our rights. That's why we need limited small government that allows ample scope for entrepreneurial genius on the part of the American people. American history teaches one great lesson. If you just get out of our way, we will be prodigiously productive. Uh, 
That's uh, so very true. And I think one of the things that we've lost in that that, uh, that you rightly point out uh, in this great new book, if you're looking for a great read, uh, American Happiness and Discontents, The Unruly Torrent, 2008 to 2020, uh, you talk about uh, this idea of we got to go past a, a binge-watching society and actually get into a binge-reading society. I, I am so tired of hearing that the new social media have replaced books as as the great carriers of ideas. I'm told I have a Facebook page. I've never seen it. I'd never tweet. Uh, someone from my office twice a week tweets a few snippets from my columns. That's it. Uh, I've got better things to do than tweet, and, and that includes it, and what it, the better things are to read. Oh, that, that's, uh, I think that's a good lesson for all of us today, for sure. Uh, I want to get to some of the, the things in terms of, of where we are in terms of civility uh, in our society. society. Obviously, we've had a decade uh, where that torrent has uh, taken us far afield from civil discourse. And what is it that we should be doing? Obviously, staying off of the social media might be a, a good first step. But what else should we be doing uh, to reconvene, to have elevated conversations and real civil discourse? I think what we need are some leaders who will change the tone. Uh, We've seen with Mr. Trump the power of one person to change the tone of the country. And we need someone to come along and and say essentially what Lincoln said in the closing paragraphs of his first inaugural. He delivered that in March 1861 when seven states had already tried to secede from the Union, voted to secede. Lincoln said, we are not enemies, we must not be enemies. My God goodness, it's perfectly possible to argue with one another. My uh, closest friend was a, a Senator Pat Moynihan. He was a liberal New Deal Democrat when he got to Washington and when he left. Didn't prevent us from being good friends and having cordial arguments. And that's such a, uh, such a vital thing that we can actually have uh, that disagreement and, uh, and still not have contempt, that we can actually... Uh, agree to disagree, so to speak, and then uh, move on to, to more important issues. Being dis- Disagreeing without being disagreeable is, is essential to democracy. Yeah. Well, I can't, uh, I can't have a uh, conversation with you without having a baseball question in the mix, or it doesn't actually count as an interview uh, with the great <laughs> George Will. And uh, I'm going to make it two parts so I can get real baseball and quasi-baseball in. Uh, of course, tonight is the uh, congressional <laughs> baseball game. Uh, at the uh, Nationals Park there. And uh, you've spent a, a fair bit of time in a chair at uh, National Stadium. Uh, what should we learn, or, or do you have any predictions for the uh, for the outcome of tonight's congressional baseball game? No, just watching those, those uh, guys try to play that game without getting a hamstring injury is part of the suspense. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice little moment of uh, when partisan rancor just recedes. It is it is one of those good moments. Uh, we actually have uh, Representative Blake Moore, who's I, it has to be one of the youngest uh, players on the field tonight at just uh, forty one years of age, a former baseball player here in Utah. And that, I gave him the exact advice: your staff is telling me stretch out your hamstring. Uh, we do not exactly. want a moment. <laughs> uh, well, as we look at the the broader, uh, let's look at the big the big big leagues now in in terms of baseball, and it's something that you have written about and gleaned great lessons from over the years. Uh, what is it about our national pastime that can give us some guidance uh, for the times that we live in? 
Well, it's it's the right sport for a democracy because democracy is, is a, a, a system of the half loaf. No one ever gets everything they want. Compromise is necessary. In baseball, uh, the best bet, career batting average was Ty Cobb's 367, which means he failed more than 60% of the time. Mm. Every team goes to spring training, essentially, unless they're the Orioles, knowing they're going to win 60 games and knowing they're going to lose 60 games. We play the whole six-month season to sort out the middle 42 games. And if you win uh, 10 out of 20, you're definitionally mediocre. If you win 11 out of 20, you got a pretty good chance of playing in October. So it's a game where uh, it's a severe meritocracy. At the end of 163 games played in 183 days, 62 games played in 183 days, you are your record. Don't tell me you're better than that. You are what your record says you are. Oh, I love that. We need uh, more of that outcome-driven uh, conversation, I think, in uh, exactly. a lot of government programs, a lot of uh, debates that we have on what is uh, not what the activity is, what is the outcome uh, really has to drive things in the end. That's why, that's why I, I've got the Major League Baseball channel on all day long because it's the one place on television where facts matter and numbers add up. Yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of those numbers, I know this is a, a, an important uh, period in season uh, when uh, Ted Williams, of course, uh, hit uh, over 400 for a season, uh, chose to go to bat on the last day of the season, could have just uh, sat it out, but instead uh, stepped up to the plate, so to speak, literally, uh, and proved that uh, taking those risks is actually worth it in the end. Yes, he was at 399, which they would have rounded 0.5, which they would have rounded up to 400. And someone said, are you going to sit it out? He said, nope. He went out and he played a double header and went six for eight and wound up 406. That's a that's a good finish and a, and a good end there, to be sure. And uh, we so appreciate George Will joining us on the line. Uh, truly one of the great thinkers. And, and again, there's a difference between power and influence. And Mr. Will has had a life of influence in significant ways. And before I let you go, uh, as we look at this uh, torrent of uh, 2008 to 2020, what does the next season looks like? We talk about hope springing eternal in terms of baseball. Uh, what is it that gives you hope for the future of the republic? I think that American people are, are fatigued with being furious all the time. I think they're they're eager for someone to come along and say, take a deep breath and relax. I think the American people, you know, at, at any given moment of the 331 million people in this country, 325 million of them are not watching cable television. They're They're getting on with life, fixing the screen door, cleaning the gutters, raising children. And uh, they're just not an angry, we're not an angry, angry country. Yeah, fantastic. Great insight as always. Always appreciate you coming on the show, Mr. George Will. Uh, appreciate your writing. Appreciate your thinking. And uh, we'll have you back again real soon. I hope so. Thanks for having me. And this is one of those you want to go and re-listen, re-listen to. Uh, I don't like to listen to my own voice, but I will go back and listen uh, to George Will. He gave us a uh, just a boatload of things to think about today. Uh, including uh, things like uh, one of the things that we have learned over the last 12 years, really, uh, is that politics is downstream. Uh, it's downstream from culture. Uh, we always talk about it on the show. Community and culture lead. The politicians, the politics, the political parties follow. And we, we have to remember that. Uh, I loved uh, his 
comments and his uh, focus on Margaret Thatcher. Uh, he has a great chapter in his book about the Iron Lady and this important notion that we have to lead with ideas and leading with ideas rather than leading with politics or or even policy, that we have to get to this uh, big battle of ideas in the marketplace of ideas. That's when we're always at our best. And that uh, that's really where things begin to, to have some power and that we do live in a society and a culture of persuasion. And so much of what we have uh, on social media and in so much of our discourse today is a is a lack of persuasion because we're all just hunkering down. In fact, we're going to talk about that uh, with Joe Lancaster coming up in terms of is it the social media that's causing that or is it us? Uh, and I think there's a, a really interesting uh, conversation to be had around how much is social media responsible for that divisiveness and how much of it is just us playing off of that or hunkering down in that. Uh, that's an important conversation to have. Uh, and of course, that we need to make sure that in, especially in our institutions of higher learning, that they are institutions of higher learning, uh, that they're not just these protected spaces and trigger warnings and microaggressions and all of those kinds of conversations. Uh, the most important thing that a student can learn in their higher education and any education is learning how to learn the discipline of it and learning to love learning which means being willing to set your own agenda aside. It's about listening better and more. Uh, it's about being curious. Uh, and that is something we're going to talk about in our final segment today, uh, something I'm worried about. I think the, the death of the republic comes not when one political party wins over the other, but when we all stop being curious about differing opinions and differing ideas. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.